Welcome to episode 81 of the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. In this episode, we are traveling to the exotic and faraway land of Arkansas to visit and talk about some haunted places. 300 places, to be exact. We're going to be in the northwest and north central parts of Arkansas for this episode in the Ozarks or Ozark Mountains. Tune up your banjo, put on your coveralls, throw a possum in the stew pot. We're headed to hillbilly country. That's right. Actually, that's wrong. Northern Arkansas, especially the Ozark region, has long had a reputation for being backwards and kind of hillbillyish. Well, not so, not really. Fayetteville, where the University of Arkansas is located, is in northwest Arkansas. That's a very progressive city, by the way. As is Bentonville, which is the birthplace and headquarters of Walmart. Uh, the Walmart thing's not much of a claim to fame or any kind of claim against being backwards and hillbilly-ish. Not really. That's also not a good way to dispel the myth that northern Arkansas is kind of hillbilly country. I mean, Walmart is kind of synonymous with rednecks and kind of backwood types. That's a broad generalization, and that's also stereotyping, I do believe. Keep that in mind. I'm going to try and keep that in mind in this episode, too, because something to think about here, people are people. Even if they are considered kind of white trash, hillbillies, backwards redneck types, that kind of thing, all I'm trying to say is don't judge people based on where they're from or 150-year-old opinions of early American explorers who viewed the denizens of northern Arkansas, especially in the Ozarks, as dwellers of a savage wilderness full of outlaws and thieves. Yes, thank you, Wikipedia, for that little statement. So people from Arkansas have had a bad reputation for a long time. I don't really necessarily feel that they deserve it. In a little bit, we're going to talk about Arkansas, what the state is all about, what it's like, before the good parts, the ghostly story parts of this episode really get going. Yes, we will get a little into the backstory and what is Arkansas, that type of thing. Let me tell you where we're going in this episode. Our first stop is going to be Cotter, Arkansas, and the Haunted Cotter Bridge. Next, we're going to head to Bull Shoals, Arkansas. Let me spell that out. That's B-U-L-L, two words, B-U-L-L-S-H-O-A-L-S, Bull Shoals. The way I say it doesn't make the bull part very clear. Bull Shoals. It kind of rolls off the tongue, right? Just like most words spoken in the American South. Bullshit. See, we got this far, and I already said don't stereotype and all that, and I am already making fun of or kind of copycatting Southern accents. I'm sorry about that. I really will try to keep that kind of thing to a minimum in this episode. Bullshit is home to Bullshit's Caverns and Mountain Village 1890, which is a replica town set up above and kind of around the caverns. The Mountain Village 1890 location is, I believe, very haunted. And I do say that from personal experience, not just secondhand stories told by other people. Very good stuff coming up. Our last stop on this tour of the Ozarks is the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. That place is absolutely haunted as can be multiple sightings of the same type of occurrences by multiple, multiple people. And in fact, the Crescent Hotel is known as America's Most Haunted Hotel. Yes, you'll be hearing a story about that very, very soon. Definitely keep your ectoplasm on if you don't mind uh, 
Good stuff coming up. The music of this episode, absolutely perfect for what we're talking about. We've got three songs by those masters of melodical morbidity, Murder by Death. So absolutely perfect for this episode. Murder by Death are originally from Bloomington, Indiana, and now call Louisville, Kentucky home. What makes Murder by Death so perfect for this episode? The songs, I think, have this slightly kind of country, slightly spooky feel to them. Otherworldly is the word I would use to describe the songs of Murder by Death. I believe a little fact about Murder by Death. Do you know they do five shows a year? And this is for the last seven years at the Stanley Hotel in Colorado. That hotel was kind of the stand-in, the real-world location of the Overlook Hotel from The Shining movie. Yeah, holy shit. That hotel is also super haunted. The Stanley Hotel, that is. I'm really hoping, I'm so hoping you'll be hearing from Murder by Death soon with their very own Bobcast episode. Not going to say when, I don't want to curse it, because I really do want to talk to them especially the lead vocalist, Adam Turla. He's got some great ghost stories, I hear, so I'd love to talk to him. Adam, if you're listening, yes, I would love to talk to you soon. Let's set something up. These songs of Murder by Death you're going to hear in this episode are in order of appearance, Traveling Far, that comes right after part one of the episode, True Dark, and that song will be in between part two and part three of the episode, and Chasing Ghosts is the last song and that'll be at the very, very end of the episode. Before we start talking a little more about Arkansas and these three very spectrally special places, let's do the... Beer of the Episode. This week's beer of the episode is the Awkward Social Zombies Hazy IPA by none other than Plan 9 Ale House of Escondido, California. Awkward Social Zombies is brewed with Citra, Simcoe, and Sabro hops and weighs in at a delicious 6.8% alcohol by volume. Let's try this beer out and see just how awkward it really is. It's good. Damn good. Very smooth, not so bitter IPA from Plan 9. A little fruity, I would say. But yeah, goddamn delicious. Very crisp, very refreshing. Oh yeah, that is a yeah, let me try it again actually. That is a damn good beer. That really is a good beer. Good job Plan 9. Once again, knocking them dead. You can also Get this beer and many other fine beers at Plan 9 Ale House. The address is 155 East Grand Avenue in downtown Escondido, California. You can call Plan 9 at 760-489-8817 or visit Plan 9 Ale House on the web at www.plan9alehouse.com. Thank you so much, Plan 9, for another awkwardly awesome beer of the episode. Speaking of episodes, let's do this. Here are a few words from this episode's sponsor, Pomp's Not Dead Pomade. Stay tuned. Go the walls down, 
Looking good is feeling good are words that I live by. With Pomp's Not Dead Pomade, looking good is 100% guaranteed. You'll be so happy with your hair after using any of the many varieties of pomade from Pomp's Not Dead, such as the latest creation of owner Edwin Carson, the Return of the Slicking Dead Pomade. Return of the Slicking Dead is an oil-based, firm-hold pomade with low shine and a toxic citrus scent. Yes, celebrate eight years of Pomp's Not Dead Pomade by visiting the Etsy site, which is www.etsy.com slash shop slash Pomp's Not Dead Pomade, where you can pick up some of this amazing pomade and an eight-year anniversary t-shirt while supplies last. All of the pomades sold by Pomp's Not Dead are handmade with love and care by Edwin, who has taken the art of homebrewing pomade to new heights with his creations. I will say, since I've been using Pomp's Not Dead pomade, I am constantly barraged with compliments of just how amazing my hair looks. True story. Looking good, feeling good, Pomp's Not Dead can make that happen for you too. Visit the Etsy shop and order some Pomp's Not Dead pomade today. Arkansas is the 25th state added to the Union that is the United States of America on June 15th of 1836. Geographically speaking, Arkansas is located in the south-central portion of the United States. It's bordered on the west by Texas and Oklahoma, on the north by Missouri, on the east by Tennessee and Mississippi, and to the south by Louisiana. We're mostly concerned with the northwest and north-central portions of Arkansas for this episode, as that is where the three haunted spots we're talking about are located. These northern portions of Arkansas are located in the Ozark Mountains, or Ozark Plateau. Mountains is kind of a stretch for me when describing the Ozarks. The highest peak in the Ozark Mountain region is a little over 2,500 feet tall. Now, that's not very big when you compare it to, say, the Rocky Mountains, or even the mountains near my home in Southern California. The Ozarks area of northern Arkansas is covered by lush forests of oak, hickory, and eastern juniper. This area is the absolute greenest place I have ever been in my life. I mean, green as far as the eye can see. The air feels green. I don't know how to really explain that, but it just does. Part of that feeling, I'm sure, is from the water. There's water everywhere. Lakes, rivers, streams, they dot the landscape of the Ozark region. More water, rainfall in northern Arkansas is somewhere around 43 inches annually, and it rains an average of 100 days per year. Oh, humidity. Did I mention the humidity? Yes, it's very humid in the warmer summer months, typically from June to September, for sure. The scientific term for the climate of Arkansas is humid subtropical. Another interesting feature of the Ozarks are the limestone caves of the region. Geography, landscape, and weather aside, what else is interesting about Arkansas? Well, the population of Arkansas as of 2018 was a little over 3 million people. A little perspective in this case, the San Diego, California area has around 1.5 million people. So, Arkansas has as many people in the entire state as two San Diegos, more or less. The northern part of the state is pretty rural for the most part and very sparsely populated, though there are a few metropolitan areas in the northern Arkansas region, 
Fayetteville, Springdale, Rogers, Mountain Home are examples of those. Eureka Springs, which we're going to talk about in part three of this episode, I consider kind of a metro region, but there's only about 2,000 or so people that live in that town. So yeah, it's actually pretty small. Economically speaking, Arkansas ranks 45th in the nation in per capita personal income and 49th in the nation for median personal income. That's not very good. Those stats are not good. But as of 2014, Arkansas was the most affordable U.S. state to live in, and the unemployment rate, even during these COVID times, is only around 3%. So there's work. You can get a job. You just won't make that much money, but it doesn't cost that much to live there. What about race and ethnicity of the people who live in Arkansas? Arkansas is about 80% white statewide. Yes, white people do make up the majority of the citizens of the state of Arkansas. I would say that number is much higher in the Ozark region based on personal experience, based on the time that I've spent there. Note that Arkansas is in the Bible Belt region of the United States. There are churches everywhere in Arkansas. Again, that is based on personal experience from my recent visits to the state. There are more churches than liquor stores in northern Arkansas, especially. They are mostly Protestant churches. However, there are some Catholic churches as well. Christian symbols are prominently displayed everywhere you look, especially kind of in these rural areas, as are Trump signs. There are Trump signs everywhere. There was one person in the kind of Bull Shoals area that was very brave and had a ton of Biden-Harris signs on their property, including a giant inflatable Trump baby. <laughs> it was the funniest thing and, and also the bravest thing I have ever seen. Literally, every single one of this person's neighbors had Trump signs all over their houses and yards like the crazy Trump cultists are known to do. This one person was not having it. Bravo, kudos to you. I hope your house is still there because I have a feeling a lot of people probably wanted to burn that house down as shitty as that is. Well, what about haunted places in Arkansas? That's what we're really here to talk about. So let's start with our first stop, the Cotter Bridge in Cotter, Arkansas. Cotter is located in Baxter County of North Central Arkansas and has a population of 970 people as of the 2010 census. The Cotter Bridge crosses the White River and is part of U.S. Route 62. Construction of the Cotter Bridge began in 1929 and was completed by November of 1930. Fishing-related tourism appears to be the only real local industry, as I can testify to from my recent visit. We visited Cotter and the Cotter Bridge on a beautiful late summer day in September of 2020. There's a large park area next to the White River under the bridge called Big Spring Park with a swimming hole and boat launches, picnic areas, that type of thing. There were a lot of people out fishing that day, either from the banks of the river or in boats on the river. A very friendly fisher person offered to take a family picture of us and told us she had caught her limit of trout within about 15 minutes of beginning fishing. Trout is king on the rivers of northern Arkansas, and the Cotter Bridge part of the White River is known as Trout Capital USA. Walking around the area during the day, the area under the Cotter Bridge is idyllic. Green, 
quiet, the peaceful river running through the park area, it's hard to picture anything that could disturb the serenity of that scene until night falls. When the Cotter Bridge was under construction, most of the labor used for the project came from the surrounding countryside. Some people came from further away. The year was 1929 and jobs were getting scarce all around the United States. A young black family came to Cotter from Little Rock knowing there was work for up to a year's time building the bridge. 21-year-old Samuel Jones, his wife, 19-year-old Dorothy Jones, and their newborn son Charles made the trip to Cotter via the railroad and rented a small room in town. Samuel had secured a job with the Marsh Bridge Company, whose owner, James Marsh, was known to be a fair employer to African-American people in an age where racism and prejudice against blacks ran rampant, especially in the American South. Samuel worked day and night on the bridge as construction went around the clock in order to meet the deadline of completion for the project. With a newborn child to care for and the countless hours Samuel was working, the young family had little time for leisure, which is unfortunate, as we shall see, as with more time to get to know the Cotter area and its residents, tragedy might have been much more easily averted. As the Cotter Bridge neared completion in early October of 1930, some of the local residents of the area met with the mayor of Cotter to decide what to do about their Negro problem. Jeff Davis was the mayor of Cotter at that time, and after the meeting where the locals decided they needed to help the Negroes move on from the area, Davis hatched a plan. They'd gather police from neighboring towns and other concerned citizens from around the Cotter area and offer the African-American laborers, Samuel and his family included, a choice leave the area by the time the bridge was completed or face swift and lethal southern justice. Not that there were many black folks in the area to begin with, but to the white residents of Cotter, Arkansas, one Negro family was too many. On Halloween night, October 31st of 1930, a group of local police, Cotter area Ku Klux Klan members, and their hunting dogs gathered to issue the ultimatum to the bridge workers and their families. The first stop was the boarding house that Samuel, Dorothy, and the one-year-old Charles dwelled in. It was 11 p.m., and the men woke the young family and told them they needed to get out of town by sunup or there'd be a grim price to pay. Samuel was a large man, muscles toned by hard work, mind set to do anything in his power to provide for and protect his family. Samuel told the men, We'll leave when my job on this bridge is done, and not a day sooner than that. The posse did take exception to Samuel's words and dragged him out into the night, never to be seen again. Dorothy, crying and begging for mercy while they dragged Samuel away, came to the conclusion that the only way she and her son would live through the night was to leave then and now. Wearing only her white bedclothes, she packed some of their meager belongings, grabbed young Charles and ran out into the night towards the nearly completed Cotter Bridge. The fog was very thick on that Halloween night. Dorothy never saw the group of men and their dogs that were lurking in the darkness near the bridge. The men were stationed at the bridge to make sure not one of the Negro families escaped Cotter without their white justice being dispensed. Somehow, Dorothy and Charles ran right past the group of men and their dogs and onto the bridge without being detected immediately. Sadly, all this commotion had woken Charles earlier, 
He was not taking the escape from Cotter well. The men did hear the cries of the young Charles as Dorothy ran past them, and so they released the dogs. Dorothy ran as fast as she could, at one point dropping her suitcase in a mad dash to escape, the braying and growling of the hounds urging her to run faster and faster. Nearing mid-span of the bridge, in the thick fog, Dorothy thought she must be nearing the end of the bridge. It couldn't be any farther than this. No permanent guardrail was installed on that part of the bridge yet, and the construction safety rail had been taken down earlier in the day to make room for a permanent barrier. The dogs at her heels, Dorothy ran off the side of the bridge and into what she thought was a short drop to the riverbank below. As she and Charles fell 80 feet into the cold and rushing waters below, the last thoughts were of her son Charles, still in her arms as they plunged to their death. Tales are told to this day of the shadowy and tall figure of a man standing on the bridge that will follow you if you dare walk across the Cotter Bridge at night. Could that be Samuel seeking news on the whereabouts of his wife and son? There's also a legend of a lady in white being chased across the bridge by phantom hounds or simply floating above the deck of the bridge, perpetually seeking safety for herself and her child. Some have heard the sounds of a woman screaming as she plunges off the bridge, but when searching the waters of the White River under the Cotter Bridge, no body is ever found. Is Dorothy reliving the trauma that horrible night over and over again? Some have heard a baby crying under the bridge, Maybe Charles is still seeking the safety and comfort of his mother's arms, even from beyond death. Lastly, there are those that claim to have been chased by a black dog with red glowing eyes, perhaps a member of the pack that led Dorothy and Charles Jones to an early demise, still searching for its prey all these many years later. The vile men of Cotter, Arkansas in the year 1930 never did solve their Negro problem, it seems to me. The Jones family may have become permanent residents, and I, for one, hope they are able to one day reunite and by doing so, truly rest in peace. I beg forgiveness I've been such a fool Lost and alone I spoke your name out loud To the room Traveling far To be where you are Traveling far Towards the brightest Lying on my back Eyes open, eyes closed Imagine voices creak and crack Making fists Wiggling toes Traveling far To be where you are 
the brightest star In part two of the episode, we're going to do something a little bit different in comparison to that Cotter Bridge segment or part one. We're going to Bowl Shoals, Arkansas and Bowl Shoals Caverns. Are the caverns haunted? Eh, maybe. Is the historic recreation of an 1800s era Ozark settlement located above the caverns haunted? Oh yes, uh, to me there's absolutely no doubt. Mountain Village 1890 is the name of this replica of an Ozark settlement and the spirit of a certain Colonel William B. Jordan seems to be very attached to his former home, which is part of this attraction. I talked for a while with Jim, the owner of the property, after we did some exploring and investigating of the Mountain Village 1890 location, so I'll play that now before I talk about mine and my wife's possibly paranormal experiences at that property. Let me explain about the audio with Jim first, though. Jim starts off telling a story he was told of someone seeing a ghostly figure near the Jordan cabin. Then he goes into a description of the property and a short history where the various buildings of the property came from, etc. Near the end, Jim talks about whether or not he's seen anything ghostly or paranormal on the property. Plus a kind of funny story about a person that did ghost tours on the property a while back. Here's Jim with that interview. Down in the Jordan house, where there's uh, this two-story, excuse me, the one-story log home with the dog trot, there, there, there was a lady that may have come from Colonel Jordan's relatives, and we had a uh, dulcimer player down there, and she swore that she saw, every, like every afternoon about closing times, four, well, we used to close later, so five or six when the sun was starting to set a little bit, she would see sort of her sort of going across the lawn, not walking, just sort of with her long dress sort of floating across mm -hmm. the lawn. That's all I know. Now, I know about the buildings, the history of them, but I don't know that... Yeah, yeah. whatever you know about the buildings. Well, the building themselves, again, they, all the buildings out here, they do come from different locations, both south uh, central Missouri and northern, north central Arkansas. As we, we can sort of tell you as we go around, the, the oldest building is the two-story log home that, that's right down there. That's called the Martin House. That was built in, I believe, 1830. It comes from Jasper, Arkansas. It's the only building that we have on the premises that actually needed to be taken apart, numbered or lettered, and reassembled on site here. Uh, going down in that direction further, we, we uh, don't have, uh, which you can't see. The next building down would be the bank it came from Ash Flat, Arkansas, and actually, you can take a look at that picture where that, that uh, lady is standing next to the old car, and that building in the back is where the bank actually sat in Ash Flat, Arkansas. Oh, wow. so, and going further down, we have a general store. The general store sat in a place called Buford, Arkansas, which is between Mountain Home and Gasville down, down in that area. Uh, along with that building, we had a church, I'm assuming we had a schoolhouse. 
The schoolhouse was very similar in structure to the church, but it burnt down, and it was in that area that's you can't. There's nothing there anymore. Oh, wow. Straight down there, it burnt down. But the the uh, schoolhouse and the general store sat kitty corner from one another. Coming back this way, the jail. Uh, it was supposedly used for a movie, the Bootleggers movie, but down at Calco Rock. It, I think it had Jacqueline Smith in it, although I've had a hard time sort of researching it. Then coming this direction, the house that I was referring to earlier, that was uh, Colonel Jordan's house. That came from, uh, you're sort of familiar with the area then, a little, yeah. You know where Whiteville is? Yes, yes. All right, that, you would have made a right somehow, right around Whiteville and gotten down near the river. That's where that, that house came from, down, down in there, okay? And it was, it was an old retired uh, Confederate, Confederate, Confederate Colonel. Confederate Colonel, yep. Some, we had somebody here before they sort of like this. They wanted me to hang a Confederate flag there. I'm, we, I, we just can't get into the controversy. Whatever you feel, whether it or not. Whether you like it or not, we're not getting involved in that. So. But anyway, that's what happened in that. That was that house. And then this way, we have the blacksmith shop. That did come from uh, Missouri, came from Dalt Mill. I don't know if you're familiar with that. With no, that. no. All right, uh, Gainesville, Missouri. No. All right. Right above us is the town, is Ozark County, Missouri, and the cap, the county seat is Gainesville. Right up there, okay. this came from a little bit east of there, and that was Dalt Mill. If you if you're ever up that way, they have beautiful mills and all that kind of stuff. So, and that was where the blacksmith shop came from. The house with the white picket fence that came from Flippin, Arkansas. You probably Flippin, yeah, Flippin. yeah, okay. yeah. You know where Ranger Boats is? Yes. All right, that. Then if, if you're just thinking, you know, how uh, flat that area is where Ranger Boats is. It sat in back of Ranger Boats. I don't know exactly where, but at that point, uh, flipping was called Goatsville. Oh, and wow. so <laughs> the, the, the house came from Goatsville. And then the railroad came through and the town sort of shifted over to where flipping is now. And it was named after the patriarchs, or the, the Mr. and Mrs. Flippin, who, who, uh, ah, who, who built see. that house. That house was one of the first houses in the area that was not made of uh, lump, uh, logs and stuff. It was milled. They had, they were the wealthy folks because oh, they had sure. milled lumber. They had lace in their windows and all that oh, kind of wow, stuff. Sure. And then finally we have our church right here, and that came from a border town up in uh, south of Branson or southwest of Branson called uh, Blue Eye, Missouri. And it also has a bordering town, Blue Eye, Arkansas. It's one of those towns that are... Sure, they bought it right. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, oh, and then this, from here to there, is, uh, this is the old railroad station from Payette, Arkansas. Huh. Uh, different, I think our sign out there says 1907. Uh, I heard some, somebody say 1917. I, who, it doesn't really matter. It was pretty old. And again, and that was from there to there. Uh, that wood-burning, well, actually, that coal-burning stove is authentic to this depot, and so is that bench. That bench actually sat in the railroad depot. There was no railroad that actually no, went there was through no railroad. Holes, oh, so, right. oh, and the train right there, that is a yard engine, and that came from outside of Little Rock. It was it just hauled bricks around. I don't know exactly what it did with them, but it all them around. Sure, for, yeah, yeah, gotcha. So, like you said, you've never experienced anything no, I, I paranormal haven't. or weird or anything no, you would describe like that. No, uh, we, we, I've worked here 20 years. There's been weird stuff, but it's not the paranormal. Gotcha. Kind of stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Now they do. Do people come in and do ghost tours? We we here's he, we tried that. We well one a couple of years ago there was somebody that really really were, was into that. Not and not not the uh, not the Halloween ghost. He really was into it. Although unfortunately he wasn't a perfect fit for our organization for various 
various circumstances, sure. one way or the other, and he's no longer no longer with us. I think he did the ghost tours. Again, you know, I sort of he he was out in the church, and he said at one point that the pews that are in the church were flying around. And I, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not going along with that. First of all, they're going to scare you because we had little kids in some of these. You can tell them about the paranormal stuff, but. The, the church pews flying around, that didn't happen. You don't want to tell them they're going to get killed well, if they walk ha- in the building, and it right? And it didn't happen. That probably didn't happen. Church sure. pews flying around. I, that, I so we did hard. sort of part ways. But I would have, I would be up here and, you know, I'd be selling the tickets. Are we going to see ghosts? i go, I don't know. No, a lot of people did. They would take their camera and their camera would stop working or uh, or their flash cube wouldn't work or, or, or what have you. Now, I did, you know... So we had Who that. Something so, odd and then I did. Sure. I did have. We have the one building I didn't mention. It's called Uncle Willie's Cabin. It's sort of a, a throwaway building. It was just sort of a shack that sat here in Bull Shoals. Somebody and and this was actually two separate people, not too far apart because I remember them. They said something bad happened in there. Oh, that's oh. all I know. And and that was from two separate people. Wow. Oh wow. Somebody walked in there, kind of got that feeling that something bad that that went yep. down in there. Yep. Wow. And then, well, then we had, uh, uh, th- but then again, we had somebody, and they were the. Oh, oh let me let me go around. I can feel that because and because we we had fake uh, graveyard over there for the church. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> they go, ooh, I really feel something here. I really, uh, the only thing that we have buried out there, uh, we had probably a, there's probably a horse or a dead, you know, we used to have horses and stuff. So there may be a dead animal out there, but there were no... There's no people. No, there's no, no people, people there. No. They, we know of, right? No, that's right. That yeah, we know of. Yeah. All right, Jim. Great. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome I really so appreciate it. You're welcome so much. Thank you. You're welcome. So I guess Jim hasn't really seen anything on the property himself, I do love his story about the ghost tour host claiming church pews flying all around the inside of the church. I would have this to say to that ghost host. Dude, come on. Start small, work your way up if you're claiming evidence of paranormal activity and you're like a charlatan, right? Just say a chair moved or something like that, like slid across the floor. Not all these huge and heavy pews in this building were flying all around. That is a stretch. The graveyard story I thought was pretty funny too. Uh, Yeah, there are no bodies. That's a fake graveyard. So yeah, not there wouldn't really be any reason to be uneasy around there. I get a feeling someone isn't resting well in this graveyard. Oh, really? Really? Let me tell my tale now of Colonel Jordan and his forever home at Mountain Village, 1890. Colonel William B. Jordan settled in Baxter County, Arkansas at the end of the Civil War. William Jordan was a colonel in the Confederate Army, most likely with an unremarkable career, as there isn't much information out there on him. While living in Monkey Run, Arkansas, Colonel Jordan served as a Justice of the Peace, he was the local barber, and he was also a farmer. Many years after Colonel Jordan's death, his home was relocated to Mountain Village, 1890, which is 20 miles away from its original location. Not only was Colonel Jordan's home relocated to Mountain Village 1890, many of his personal belongings and furnishings from the home were brought to the location and placed exactly as they were when Colonel Jordan was still alive, and that was done by his great-grandchildren, no less. If there were ever a reason for a restless spirit to linger on, to attach itself to a location, 
To me, that would be it. Home uprooted, personal belongings moved by family members who also have attachments to the home and the items in the home. That's a sure recipe for a haunting, I believe. I should also mention that shortly after the home of Colonel Jordan was uprooted and relocated, a tornado tore through the property where the home had resided for years. The home surely would have been destroyed had it not been moved. Was the spirit of Colonel Jordan angry at the relocation of the home he built in the mid-1860s? The uprooting of his worldly possessions? I visited this location twice in the last few years, once in September of 2018 and once again in September of 2020. On both visits, which were family vacations, both my wife and I saw, photographed, and experienced things that I believe were paranormal in nature. The first visit was innocent in the fact that we were not expecting to find anything ghostly or paranormal in any way when we visited Mountain Village 1890. We came for the tour of Bolshoi's Caverns. The Mountain Village 1890 part of the property was kind of an aside, an area to explore before we exited through the gift shop. Once we began to explore the Mountain Village 1890, one building in particular stood out from the rest. An old house made of logs, a two-pen style house with a dog run or a dog trot separating the two halves of the house. Looking through one of the windows into the log house, the furnishings inside appeared to be authentic to the time period. Old, worn-out, antique. Dead leaves and other debris lay on the floor inside of the house, which sat in darkness even in the middle of a bright and hot early September day. Near the bed in the large single-room home was a dresser and a boarded-up window. As my wife and I looked through the window into the home, we both had a very uneasy feeling like we were intruders, unwanted, trespassing. Standing out in the hot summer sun, looking into the home, I remember feeling very cold. I also remember feeling that the inside of the house wasn't right. It didn't feel like it was supposed to be where it was. We took some photos of the log home, went on our way back to our vacation cabin where we were staying, and later that evening, my wife was going through photos from the visit to Bolshoi's Caverns and Mountain Village 1890, trying to decide which would be the best to post on Facebook and Instagram. One photo stood out to her, a photo of the interior of Colonel Jordan's home. Specifically, a photo taken that shows the bed, the dresser, the boarded-up window, and the faint figure of a man who appeared to be standing erect and staring straight at us. To me... He appears to be staring at us angrily, defiantly, silently willing us to move on and leave him be. Maybe that's my imagination. Maybe it's what remains of Colonel Jordan, upset that strangers could look into his home and at his personal belongings, unable to do more than fume and stare at trespassers in silent fury. On our next visit to Mountain Village, 1890, in September of 2020, Knowing we had experienced something out of the ordinary at Colonel Jordan's log cabin on our prior visit, I came prepared. I had an EMF meter, an audio recorder, and a camera at the ready to capture anything strange and or unexplainable. My wife went to Colonel Jordan's home first as I explored the rest of the property, filming and recording audio all the while for later in-depth perusal. Nothing appeared to be out of the ordinary anywhere on the property, until I met my wife at the former and maybe current home of Colonel Jordan. The area around the log home was roped off. Getting close to peer inside of the home from the front was impossible. 
So we walked around the back of the home and looked inside. There was more debris inside, more dead leaves, more worn and neglected looking than it did on our first visit. That was my impression. The interior of the home was brighter this time. I didn't get any feelings of coldness or dread, just age. My wife and I walked around the back of the home several times, filming and taking photos. The unwelcome feelings from our first visit were still present, I would say, but not as overwhelming as it was the first time we were there. I would almost say I felt more welcome than I did the first time. Almost. Once again, we exited through the gift shop. We said our goodbyes to Colonel Jordan and Mountain Village, 1890. And again, much like on our first visit, later that evening, my wife was going through photos and videos from the day spent traveling around Bull Shoals and the caverns in Mountain Village, 1890. And she came upon something strange. A video taken at the rear of the Jordan home showed a light moving rapidly from one section of the house to the other. We were standing near the area known as the dog trot, viewing the house, as I said, from the rear. The light appears and flashes quickly from one side of the outside of the home to the other. I get the feeling when I watch that video that whatever caused the light effect was watching us from one side of the home, then decided to try and be sneaky and quickly move to the other side of the house to avoid detection. Either way, I wonder, did Colonel Jordan recognize us? Was he once again after two years showing himself to us in a way just to let us know he's still standing watch and still displeased at our presence? Only Colonel Jordan would know the answer to that question for sure.
part three in the final chapter of our journey into the strange, unknown, and possibly paranormal phenomena of northern Arkansas is coming to a close with this tale of the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs. Eureka Springs is possibly the most beautiful town I've ever been to in my 51 years of life. I have been a few places. I've been to Asia, Europe, all over the United States, but Eureka Springs is something else, something very special. It's a very charming town, kind of a quaint mountain village, all built into the hillsides of the area with these supposedly healing springs flowing throughout. I can say this, there's definitely something in the air in the town of Eureka Springs. Magic and ghosts, lots and lots of ghosts. I've read that if you buy a home in Eureka Springs proper, in the city proper, expect that house to be haunted. Even real estate agents will warn you, this house you're looking at, by the way, it's haunted. That's crazy, right? A couple of reasons for all this paranormal activity, all these hauntings in the area could be due to the limestone caves and the more than 140 cold water springs that honeycomb the hills of Eureka Springs. Plus, there's a railroad that sits just north of downtown Eureka Springs. According to Jason and Grant of TAPS, you know, the Ghost Hunters TV series guys, limestone, railroads, and running water are all indicators that an area could have paranormal activity. Now, that's what the Ghost Hunters guys say from their experiences. The thought is, all of those things, limestone, running water, and a railroad, they're all conduits or energy sources for spirits or ghosts or paranormal activity. I think I'm going to agree with them on that because paranormally speaking, Eureka Springs is on fire, especially the spot we're going to talk about right now. The Crescent Hotel, located at 75 Prospect Avenue in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, is home to several happy and several not-so-happy haunts. The happier residents include Michael, an Irish stonemason who fell to his death while working on the hotel in 1885, Morris, the resident cat and former general manager of the hotel, who is still seen roaming the halls and rubbing against people's legs long after his passing in the year 1994. Theodora is another happy haunt, once a nurse at the hotel when it was known as the Baker Hospital, now a playful phantom that likes to reorganize guests' belongings in her former room, and that room number is 419. All of these spirits are said to dwell in the hotel itself, not in the basement, which is where we're headed to visit a part of the hotel that is called the morgue. From 1937 until 1939, con man Norman Baker owned the Crescent Hotel. He turned the hotel into the Baker Hospital or the Baker Cancer Hospital. Norman Baker had a cure for cancer, you see. That cure was a mix of ground watermelon seeds, corn silk, alcohol, and carbolic acid. The healing waters of Eureka Springs might have been thrown into the mix as well, I'm not sure. Needless to say, that cure for cancer did not work. However, to the thousands of patients that flocked to the Baker Hospital every year, the cure offered something that they did not have much of, 
hope. Baker was already rich from birth. He was born wealthy. He was also rich from his invention of a musical instrument and some of his other cons, which this cancer cure was a large part of. Eureka Springs and the Baker Hospital made him much wealthier, almost a million dollars wealthier, in fact. Eventually, the feds did catch up with Norman Baker, and they charged him with seven counts of mail fraud. That landed Mr. Baker in jail for four years and a $4,000 fine. A very small price to pay for the thousands of lives he left in ruins in his wake. The hospital closed after Baker was jailed, but his legacy of evil lives on in the Crescent Hotel to this day. Many people who took the cancer cure left the hospital and basically went home to die. However, many people did die at the Baker Hospital. That created a need for a morgue in the basement of the hotel-turned-hospital. Baker employed two doctors to perform autopsies on the patients that passed away while in his care. And in one room of the morgue, Baker kept jars filled with parts of the bodies that were cut up and violated after death. Maybe as proof that his treatments worked, that the samples in the jars were tumors or some kind of cancerous flesh taken from cured and living patients... I believe the dead have taken exception to Baker and his doctors of defilement as the morgue areas where some of the more frightening and unhappy haunts of the hotel are said to dwell. Now, shh. Listen, that sounds coming from under the autopsy table where people have reported seeing ghostly small children begging for help. I'm begging you. Can you help me? Now, if you look down this hallway to the elevator... Maybe you'll see a nurse bringing the dead to the cooler for later examination by Baker and his butchers. One last thing. Before we leave this accursed area, look where the jars of samples are stored. There's a figure of a man wearing a purple suit near the jars. It's said Baker loved the color purple and he is said to roam the morgue, inspecting his sample collection for a new con in the afterlife, maybe? I think it'd be a good time to leave before anything else materializes. And that concludes our journey to haunted northern Arkansas. Northwest and north central Arkansas... I gotta say this, it is an incredibly beautiful and amazing place. I would really encourage you to visit any of the locations we talked about in this episode. It's a great place to go on vacation, especially if you like outdoorsy stuff like fishing, hiking, camping, boating, mountain biking, so much more. Northern Arkansas is absolutely gorgeous. And if you are kind of a paranormal tourist like I am, There is a lot to check out in northern Arkansas, especially in the Eureka Springs area. I barely scratched the surface of all the stories that come from that town. It's absolutely amazing from a paranormal perspective and from any perspective. Incredibly beautiful place. I highly recommend you visit. Now, let's get to some disclaimers and kind of a couple of explanations for some of the stuff that you just heard. 
Part one, the Cotter Bridge segment. That was a story that I wrote myself. As far as I know, there never was a Jones family that lived in Cotter. There was no Samuel that worked on the bridge, no Dorothy, no Charles Jones. I made up that whole story for this episode. I do need to say I used a word a few times in part one of this episode that I really wasn't very comfortable using. I did feel that that word gave the story kind of a better historical perspective. That word was the word Negro, and I do believe that is a vile and nasty word. The context in which I used the word was appropriate in the sense that it conveys the racist views of the people living in that part of the world in those days. Another thing, the mayor of Cotter, Jeff Davis. No, he was never the mayor of Cotter, although he was the governor of Arkansas in the year 1904 when he visited Cotter and gave a very racist speech. And in that speech, he encouraged the good whites of Cotter to expel the black people that were living in the area. Another fabrication, the bridge construction did not bring in African-American workers, but railroad construction did from the years 1904 to 1906. And by 1906, all of the black folks living in the area had been run out of town. In fact, in 1950s advertisements designed to entice visitors to the Cotter area, they claimed that the area was 100% white. Fuck that shit so hard. I believe Cotter has a history of racism that goes back a long, long time. And my story was kind of an attempt to illustrate that point and tie it to the ghosts of the area. What's Cotter like now? I really don't have any idea. It's a very small town. I think less than a thousand people live there. I will say this, according to census data from the year 2010, the town of Cotter is 97% white. And maybe that speaks for itself a little bit. The ghosts of the Jones family in the story are based on what people have experienced in the area near the bridge, the shadowy figure of the man, the lady in white, a lady screaming, falling off the bridge, and the sounds of a baby crying under the bridge. Those are all experiences that people claim to have had in the area of the Cotter Bridge. Part two of the episode, The Mountain Village 1890 and Colonel Jordan part. This was the only segment of the episode that describes some kind of unexplainable and likely paranormal activity that I did experience myself and my wife did as well. There are photos and a video of what we experienced. They will be up on the Bobcast website on this episode's part of that page. Check it out. Part three and the Crescent Hotel, that segment, the ghosts of the morgue are based on what people have seen and experienced in that part of the hotel. That hotel is super haunted. I could have talked about it a ton more just based on other people's experiences. I was there recently, and I got to say this too, besides that hotel being haunted the way it is, it is an amazing, amazing place I am going to be doing more episodes about the Crescent Hotel in the future after I do some investigating on my own, and hopefully I come back with that with some of my own experiences and stories. That will happen when the COVID coast is clear. Hopefully sometime in 2021, you'll be hearing a lot more from me about the Crescent Hotel, because what an amazing place, what an amazing haunted place. It's incredible. 
if you get a chance to go to Eureka Springs and the Crescent Hotel, I would definitely say take that opportunity. It's an amazing place. I do want to say thank you to Jim from Bolshoals Caverns and Mountain Village 1890 for the interview and for allowing me to kind of poke around and investigate around the property. If you do ever end up in Bolshoals, Arkansas, the address is 1011 CS Woods Boulevard, just right down the street from downtown Bull Shoals, Arkansas. Contact Jim by phone at 870-445-7177 or check out the Bobcast website for links to the Bull Shoals Caverns website. It is a really rad place and Jim is a great tour guide and host. Thanks so much to Murder by Death for the songs in this episode. You made this episode absolutely perfect with your haunting melodies. I would say thank you so much. And, of course, as always, thank you for listening. Don't forget, please subscribe, rate, and review the Bobcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And also, please consider becoming my patron on Patreon. That website is www.patreon.com slash I Wanna Party With Bob. Thanks again for listening. Here's Murder by Death with the song Chasing Ghosts. Very appropriate. Enjoy. Give a shit, cut myself up.